0: The views expressed in this program are those of the participants.
1: Mr. Castle, I would thank you and your ridiculous allegations to wait outside. They're not just allegations. Not anymore. Mike Sampson gave you up. A witness placed the two of you together, and Sampson was more than eager to distance himself from the murder.
0: But he did admit to breaking into Richie's office and hijacking the crash test dummy from us because you paid him to. I really don't know what you're talking about. Well, I think you do. You knew Modesto would pay millions to get that dummy back. Matter of fact, you were so sure you promised Mike a cut. This is crazy. I never paid anyone
2: to steal anything and I didn't kill the pit bull. I have an alibi.
1: No, not anymore. Once your alibi found out she was facing accessory to murder charges, she recanted and admitted that you paid her.
0: We found the taser hammer in the back of your car, right next to that tire iron.
1: Which you bleached, but you forgot about the droplets of blood residue on the carpet. What do you think is going to happen when we test it against Richie's DNA? It's over.
0: You know what I can't figure out?
1: Is why? Why? Because he couldn't see that that dummy was a gold mine. And all he wanted was justice? You're as naive as he was.
0: Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, November 25th, 2021. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into
1: color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright.
0: Well, just as last week's show on the psychology of tyranny was a part two of our shows previous to that one, our Remembrance Day show, today's show is yet another extension of an issue raised on that very show on Remembrance Day, a follow-up to the announcement that we briefly cited by Ontario MPP Randy Hillier that he will be leading a new Ontario political party to be called the Ontario First Party. And as I said on November 11th, The infighting among variant conservatives has already begun, as those forming the Blue Party of Ontario want nothing to do with Randy Hillier and his party. You know, they all pay lip service to fighting for freedom, but none of them has any political track record whatever in that regard. Simply being against the lockdowns, as an example, doesn't mean you're in favor of freedom. So conservatives, who have never voted for freedom in the legislature, now have a number of political options. But what about those of us fighting for freedom, and not just against a given day's symptom of oppression? Well, there's only one principled and practical choice in Ontario, and to explain why this is so, Freedom Party leader Paul McKeever will be joining us to discuss some of the many frequently recommended failures that we both have witnessed being made by those claiming to fight for freedom, but who constantly undermine that stated goal. Our discussion begins right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at justrightmedia.org where you can access all of our social media links and our archived broadcasts. As always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. What do we owe each other?
2: We owe each other uh, justice. In other words, we should be getting what we pay for and we should be paying for what we get. But we should be paying only for what we get and we should be getting only what we pay for. Um, You know, with the liberals they would say, well, you should pay for it whether or not you get it. Whether or not you send your child to the public system, you should be paying for the public system.
0: Just, I think in fairness, the theory is that we're paying to build, you know, bus systems in Sudbury, because the people in Sudbury are paying to build hospitals in Toronto when everybody started chipping in for everybody else.
2: Right. You don't like that idea? I think that pay, people who want to ride a bus should pay for the services that they consume. Gets back to my question. Right. What do we owe each other? I think we owe each other justice, and that's all we yeah, owe but each what other. does that, what does that mean? Just justice and that's it? We owe each other uh, respect for one another's life, liberty, and property. And that means that we don't turn each other into a source of living.
0: Well, hello again, Paul. Hi, Bob. <laughs> Memories. Hey, that was you on Steve Pakin's show way back in 2011. Yeah, a whole decade ago. Yeah. yeah Nothing's changed. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. And it's interesting, the whole issue of justice, you know. Uh, people think that justice is some kind of simplistic concept that can be dismissed, right? Yeah. Uh, particularly by those who don't value individualism or individual rights. Or maybe even by them. Because, you know, the fact is, in politics, what people generally vote for is injustice. (laughs) right? Yeah, or or what they'll call social justice. Yeah, exactly. That's the very name. And and social justice is a tyrannical concept. It's an anti-concept, actually. Yeah, it's a collectivist.
2: It it says that the collective deserves something rather than the individual.
0: Right. And, of course, only an individual can be responsible for one's actions. Right. Well, of course, we're, we're heading into political times again here in Ontario, and we've watched the likes of Randy Hillier start his own party and the Blue Party, and uh, what other parties are out there? Independents? Oh. Well,
2: we see what they did a few years back when they realized that their system was unconstitutional. It was charging everybody $200 per candidate to run. So they decided to switch it to one in which it's so easy to register a new party that you can't find any of the real parties. The wheat and the chaff are very difficult to separate nowadays. And so whereas before we would have had maybe six or seven parties in Ontario, Freedom Party among them, the rest being Green, PC, Liberal, NDP, and uh, there might have been one or two more. But uh, now there's something like 22 parties. Absolutely ridiculous. And they, and they focus on things like veganism, party for the blind. Some of them are obviously just larks. I think in most cases, they're, they're vehicles that have been set up to take advantage of tax credits more than to actually win seats in the legislature. So it's a real shame what they've done to the uh, electoral system.
0: Well, of course, our listeners should know that, you know, you're the leader of the Freedom Party of Ontario, perhaps one of those parties, they think, that shouldn't be cluttering the ballot. And I am the president of that party, and we've been at this for quite a long time. And we've seen every play played out in politics in the the book. We do it full time. It's not something we just come around, you know, between elections. And there's a history of other people that preceded you. Oh, yes. And even now, you know, we like to work with people who sound like they're saying the same message as, as we are. We participated in the End of the Lockdown Caucus, where you and I have joined with PPC leader Maxime Bernier and Randy Hillier and, and even former MP Derek Sloan, right? Yeah, and we were all mayors off. and counselors and etc. Yes. yes, but the idea that this is a cohesive group is <laughs> anything but the truth. You're right. It's just a, it's just an
2: association that's concerned about one particular issue, not a, a group of people who have some principle they're all operating upon.
0: Right. And so in criticizing some of these people, I don't want it to be misunderstood that we wouldn't still work together on that issue. Or or at least, you know, if they say a truth, I'm not going to call it a lie. You know well, what that's I'm saying? Right. Absolutely right. You You support the truth no matter who's saying it. Exactly. And that's why we find ourselves crossing paths all the time. But then when it comes to that ultimate solution, the political option, things get kind of messy, especially when it comes to freedom. People are wondering how we got into this, you know, incredibly tyrannical situation we're in today when we're supposed to be a fundamentally free country. Yeah. And I guess the big truth, and it certainly came across on our show last week where we were talking about the psychology of tyranny and my reading of so many letters to the editor from average people who read the newspapers, freedom is and always has been valued by a minority of people, right? It's not majority. By the smallest smallest uh, minority, the the individual, the individualist,
2: you know, what we're (laughs) finding, what I think we're finding is that so many people don't want to take responsibility for their lives. They don't want to grow up. In fact, they want to live in a state of effortless, daddy will take care of me. And if it's not, dad will take care of me. Maybe it's spouse will take care of me. And if it's not spouse will take care of me, maybe it's church will take care of me. And if it's not church, it'll take care of me. Maybe it's the government that'll take care of me. And certainly the communists want to eliminate all of those other support systems, leaving only the government and encourage everyone to remain in that sort of infantile state where daddy is God and God is the government
0: yes we see that a lot so here we are with all these parties to choose from and you know what kind of voters do they have to appeal to this is a a big problem voters looking for some variant of security are not going to be the best friends of freedom yet they speak for freedom all the time because when it comes to their own freedom well, that's necessary, but the other guy's freedom, well, that's another matter. <laughs> well, and you brought up a good point, I think it was last week on this show, where you were talking about phony
2: altruists, people who praise altruism, sacrificing of themselves for others, but who actually are egoists who are trying to feed off of others, like vampires. They're not Jesus on the
0: cross, they're Count Dracula, and there's a lot of Count Draculas around. Boy, that's for sure. Well... We seem to have a plethora of philosophical ignorance <laughs> out there. And I know you had a lot of interesting points prepared for our discussion today. You want to start with some of the first ones you think should be addressed? Well, the first and most important one I learned
2: from you along the, along the way was this idea that whenever you're trying to, to you know fight the tyranny of the present, you don't do it by running away from tyranny. You have to do it by running toward freedom. And that, at first, can sound like the same thing. Like, isn't it just a single line between tyranny and freedom? And the answer is, no, it's not. Because tyranny takes so many different guises. We hear about them all the time on your show, especially. There's socialism, democratic socialism, national socialism, That's the Nazism, uh, communism, Maoism, Trotskyism, all of these isms, all of which are forms of tyranny, all of which are collectivisms, Right. And so one can be easily fooled into thinking that, well, if I run away from socialism, I'll run into the arms of of freedom. No, you won't. You might just run right into the hands of Adolf Hitler or someone of of his kin. And that's because you're not really looking where you're going. You're running away from the boogeyman, but you're running right into the arms of another boogeyman. So you have to learn who among all the people out there Are the ones that are actually the right destination and that's the way you have to focus so I have been a big big supporter of freedom most of my adult life but that one there was probably one of the biggest important things to learn in politics both philosophically and electorally you must identify the advocate of freedom not the opponent of tyranny so right now for example we've got all kinds of conservative parties who are new, like they've been formed over the last several months, to react to the current conservative government's policies in response to coronavirus. So you know, what are they? Well, they're all various MPPs who have been kicked out of the Progressive Conservative Caucus and who now want to take their revenge on their own party by forming a a splitter party, but they're just progressive conservatives. They they haven't changed their spots. Randy Hillier, he's a, a great opponent of this particular kind of tyranny, but... Boy, oh boy, I could give you a history. I don't have it prepared right here, but I've written about Randy in the past, where he has said some of the most tyrannical things as a progressive conservative. In fact, I've been reading that his voting record up until all of this happened, until he got kicked out of the PC uh, caucus, was pretty much a PC voting record. He he voted with the government on all of these left-wing policies, so you have to be careful.
0: But of course, don't you know, real conservatism is the answer to tyranny, right? Well, that's
2: the other (laughs) thing you get. So...
0: There's the number one problem, of
2: of course, is this running away from tyranny. But then there's, you know, identifying conservatism as some advocacy group for freedom, which it's not. Right. Never has been. Historically, in Canada, we had two major parties, the Chateau Clique, which was French Catholics, mostly in Quebec. And we had the family compact here in Ontario, which was English Protestants and near the twain shall meet. That was the, the... thinking on it but really they were two parties for the rich and wealthy and influential within you know this new country called Canada and they just tossed the baton back and forth between them knowing that it wouldn't really change all that much if one group of rich people had the reins of power versus the other group of rich people having the reins of power they could look past their religion and their mother tongue and see that money was what really mattered. And this was a country just ripe for uh, utilization. You know, beaver pelts or whatever they could use it for, they were going to use it. And so the the way you make sure you can continue to use it is not to let the rabble grab the reins. So you set two parties up, and we still have them today. They're the Liberal Party and the Progressive Conservative Party in Ontario, but they're really just the two establishment parties that have existed since even before Canada existed. And that's why nobody, even an interloper like a Doug Ford, can't ever really use that party, we'll get into that later, but I mean, these parties are not parties for freedom. They're parties to keep things just the way they are, because just the way they are serves some people
0: really, really well. Uh, The question is, why do this? You're obviously not going to win any seats. You're not going to be the next Premier of Ontario. Mm -hmm. Why do
2: this? I think that uh, rationality needs a voice, and I don't think we're seeing a lot of it. Right now, all of the three parties that we're seeing in the legislature are proposing that if enough people vote in favor of it, well then, that's the definition of what's good and right. And Freedom Party takes a different view. We say, look, you know, the French Enlightenment had it right, that reality and reason are the things that government ought to be using when deciding how to to use its force appropriately. I was at a um, debate yesterday at a high school, and uh, there were three of us on stage, the Liberal, the PC, and myself. I not only was cheered, I had a standing ovation, and I sat down beside the now Minister of Universities, who could only sit there in awe and say, under his breath, to me, excellent. And there was a reason for that. And that's because we told people in plain language that they ought to be getting what they pay for and that they're not getting it. And people come to us because they like what we say, not because they know who we are. They may like what you say, but they're not voting for you. That's only because. The number one factor in voting so far has been, well, you know, I just want to push out the guy who's in there, and to do that I'm going to use the party that's, The second biggest. So now I'm not uh, saying that with the Liberals and Conservatives in place we're going to uh, win a government but I'll tell you this, uh, the Conservatives are making themselves rather redundant and I think when they fall that's when a new party emerges and we're making sure that we're ready for that time. There is no other party like Freedom Party in Ontario right now promoting lower taxes and a better life. There's no one uttering the word private sector competition except Freedom Party. You know why? Yes, the ghost of Mike Harris and as soon as everybody gets over that, and that's coming soon, because, you know, socialism can only work itself into a whole, uh, people will be saying, you know what, it's time to do what we did in 95. It's time to look for a tax-cutting party rather than one that's promising us more freebies.
0: Paul McKeever, it's good of you to join us today in TVO. Thanks so much.
2: Thank you, Steve.
1: fellow babies and now it's time to go to our live remote man on the scene at the Pinedale shopping mall for the big WKRP turkey giveaway so take it away Les Nessman. this is Les Nessman, your man on the scene here at the Pinedale shopping center where the excitement is mounting hundreds of people who have gathered to witness what has been described as perhaps the greatest turkey event in Thanksgiving Day history all we know for sure is that in a very few moments there are going to be a lot of happy people out here and I think I hear something now Uh, the crowd is moving out into the parking area, and, oh yes, I can see it now. It's a, it's a helicopter, and it's coming this way. A helicopter? It's flying something behind it. I can't quite make it out. It's a large banner, and it says, uh, Happy Thanksgiving (laughs) from W.K. What a sight, ladies and gentlemen, what a sight! The copter seems to be circling the parking area now. I guess it's looking for a place to land. No, something just came out of the back of the helicopter. It's uh, a dark object. Uh, <laughs> perhaps a skydiver. Plumbing to, to the earth from only 2,000 feet into the air. Second, uh, There's so no parachutes yet. I can't tell just yet what they are, but oh my God, they're turkeys! Oh, Johnny, can you get this? Oh, they're crashing to the earth right in front of us! Oh my goodness! Look at the windshield of a parked car! Johnny, this is terrible! The are is running around, pushing each other. Oh my goodness! Oh, the humanity! Oh, people are running about. The turkeys are hitting the ground like sacks of wet cement. I don't know how much longer the crowd is running for their lives. Children are searching for their mothers, and oh, not since the Hindenburg tragedy has there been anything like this. I don't know how much longer I can hold my position here, Johnny. The crowd. Last, last, last. Are you there? Last isn't there. <clears throat> Thanks for that on-the-spot report, last just tuned in. The Pinedale Shopping Mall has just been bombed with rock turkey. <laughs> Film at 11.
2: Bob, I think that's got to be the most classic episode of WKRP in Cincinnati ever. It's, it makes me laugh. And I wish to make a point of saying to everyone, everyone in your American audience, Happy Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. Right. That scene supposedly takes place on American Thanksgiving. Turkey drop. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it really speaks to the the thing we hear a lot of the time. You know, there's a desperate need to get noticed in the mainstream media. And I think that comes out of an ignorance about what the mainstream media is, or at least for the longest time there was an ignorance about it. I think Donald Trump has done a lot to inform the people about what uh, mainstream media really is, and that is a propaganda arm for usually corporate interests, also the government. But the government's just the, the political arm of, of corporate interests, too. Yeah, and by corporate, yeah, yeah. I don't mean... I don't mean like corporations are bad. I just mean very wealthy entities who want things to keep going the right way have basically control over who gets into office and and they also own the newspapers so sure you know and,
0: and, and political interests themselves like the toronto sun and the toronto star were once the representative newspapers of the conservatives and the liberals respectively right yeah well and in fact the
2: toronto uh star has what are called the um atkinson principles that force the paper to take a collectivist stance they don't have any rights, like their constitution. Look that up sometime. It's got six wow. points, I believe. Yeah, I did. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a, it's an, it's an essentially constitution-bound communist newspaper.
0: Hmm. Well, well that explains a few things, doesn't it? Oh yeah, <laughs> it explains why we never get
2: a, a word in Edgewise. There, I think we've <laughs> been mentioned in the in the Star uh, once, and I think
0: they allowed an op-ed once. Well, they uh, gave me a, they gave me a big headline once on the top of page A three or something. But the reason was cuz I destroyed the Unite the Right conference <laughs> that, <laughs> that was held in Toronto way back when in the 80s, I forget maybe it was the 90s, right? Right. And, and we had the same problem then, you know, we were at the Royal York Hotel. I give a speech, I listen to all these people who co- claim to be on the right and I'm going, I got nothing in common with these yeah. folks. Look at, if you're not for freedom, you're not for capitalism, you're not on the right. And so I couldn't possibly join a group like that. Well, guess what? The star gave me the headline. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. My enemy's enemy is my friend. That's how they operate on yeah, that at, stuff. At yeah. least at that moment. Exactly. But, of course, but yeah, publicity in and of itself isn't evil or or good. I mean, it ha- it serves a function, but... Aren't we talking about a more narrow, long-term goal And we're talking about fighting for an abstraction like freedom versus selling turkeys?
2: <laughs> that's right. <laughs> or, or, or well, shoes, in that case, right? they were selling the, the radio station, right? But, oh, the radio. But that's right. Yeah. I think people, you know, they followed sort of the Gene Simmons of KISS uh, logic, which is that all publicity is good publicity. That's actually not true. In fact, Gene Simmons just got some really, really bad publicity the other day for condemning people who refused to take a, a vaccine. So there you go. He, he, he was trending on Twitter and not in a good way. But there's two main re- sort of responses we get from people. Recommendations. And again, Bob, when, all of the, when we're talking about each of these points that people bring up to us, these are people with very good intentions, people who really want a free society, right?
0: Yeah, and, uh, it's usual, just, and usually our friends and, and people we deal with all the time and, oh, and yeah. support yeah. in so many ways. Yeah, but just some of them either...
2: Um, I don't know, they, they're just bent in their ways, that's the way they're going to be, and they're not going to get away from this idea that we've got to have some kind of way of getting the mainstream media's attention. Or others who who are just, as I say, kind of naive about what the mainstream media is, what its what its purpose is, and that there's no way on earth it is ever going to want to say anything good about a freedom party unless it's to take down an enemy of theirs. Right. But there's, two, there's sort of two main thrusts that we get, uh, two main sorts of arguments. The first is that we need a rally or a parade, you know. You know you've know, seen, for example, the, the women's march that happened in the States. I think it was about a year or two ago. Uh, Me Too March. And okay, uh, what did it achieve? Well, for 30 seconds on the TV, some people were seen carrying banners, walking around, and that's it. It's glorified aerobics because there's nothing that comes of it. You're outside with a banner, walking around. The cameras are there. And okay. It just means people
0: care about the issue. Okay, people care about the issue. Well, maybe that's the end in itself. Of course, we're getting a lot of rallies today that are all about the the lockdowns and and the vaccinations.
2: Yeah, the mistake, though, is to say that that translates into electoral politics for the party that's engaging in the aerobics.
0: Right. Right, so that's the context in which this discussion is going on, because I think a lot of those... Uh, protests are necessary and do serve a function but they won't change the government you're appealing to the very people who are giving you the problem you know
2: well yeah they're standing up there and protesting the government because they want the government to change its ways not because they want to replace the government you don't see that and in fact if if a political party attends one of these rallies or parades they normally are told to move their signs out of the way stop turning it into a partisan thing this is Non partisan. This is about a single issue, not about a political party trying to gain some traction. And you will actually build resentment if you come out and try and politicize what is an issue based
0: rally or parade. And don't ever so, try to say that the single issue is yes, it's called freedom, right? They don't. Oh gosh, no. They don't want that. No.
2: <laughs> and the other thing is, you know, the, and you only learn this through experience, but every single time you're going to have an effective demonstration or rally there will be people placed there to make sure that either a you look like a bunch of fools or b you're upstaged by something else going on so looking like a bunch of fools i'll give you an example mark emery could not get the police to come to his bookstore to arrest him for selling copies of two live crews album that was regarded as um, (laughs) oh yeah i remember that yeah right right and also i think he was selling pot magazines or something because the police knew that he was just looking for some publicity, so they didn't bother charging him. So he set up his stand outside the police station, in the hopes that by, you know they would thereby embarrass the police. Well, there's one major photograph that got published in the newspaper, and there's Mark, and there's his table, and you know it explains that he's doing this stunt, and right behind him, and right sort of to his right is a guy in a tin foil hat. No kidding. Now, I wouldn't doubt for a second that that was just a police officer told to go out there and make, you know, it look like Mark's appealing to people with tinfoil hats. I mean, you couldn't have been more effective. But then by publishing that photograph, it did more to discredit whatever Mark was talking about just to wear that tinfoil hat. And there's many ways to do it. You know, you have a guy standing out there with a swastika saying Hitler's great or something like that. And then, of course, the next day in the newspaper, they say, oh, a bunch of white supremacists showed up to support so-and-so, it could be could be Max Bernier, it could be um, Randy Hillier, it doesn't matter. But by giving this outdoor opportunity to uh, sort of evildoers, they will take advantage and they'll post with the cameras and they will undermine you big time. It is not a way to succeed. It's a way to make, be made a laughingstock, at least as a political effort, yeah, um, like an electoral effort. I should add, by the way, uh, Randy Hillier once successfully organized a protest down at Queen's Park and it was all of these farmers who drove their tractors uh, down the DVP to Queen's Park, you know, slowing the traffic and everything else. And they, there they are. They're all assembled at Queen's Park. And Randy's up there giving his speeches and everybody. But at the, at the base of the road, where all these guys are assembled, a man drives up in a truck, parks right there, and lights himself on fire. And the next day, the papers had one story to tell. Not Randy Hillier and his farmers had protested at Queen's Park, but man lights self on fire at Queen's Park that's the upstaging. I remember that ne- and, and we yeah,
0: commented and, on it at the time, yep.
2: Yeah, and the very next week, the pro-government group of farmers did the exact same stunt that Randy had done with the with the less government folks. And they got all kinds of coverage from the Toronto Star and the you know, cuz they're pro-government. They want more regulation, more control, more,
0: you know, protection for their
2: businesses at the expense of others.
0: Yeah, everything, for, you know, <laughs> milk marketing boards come to mind on another level. Exactly.
2: You know? That's exactly right. Now, this other thing is what we need is a stunt. And as I say, that's that's the kind of, you know, tinfoil hat thing you do in front of the station. Another well-wishing person, longtime member of Freedom Party had suggested that we protest. I think it was uh, highway speed limits by, you know, complying entirely with the speed limit. You know, 100 kilometers an hour right across all three lanes, so that nobody can pass. And I've long thought that would be just a way to aggravate everybody on the highway. Well, we never did it, of course, but somebody else did, and they got charged first for blocking traffic, yeah. and then, <laughs> and then they, then they, then they did it the other way around. And I, I can't remember what happened, but they, they uh, spat or something like that. And they got them for speeding. Like it, they, they just attack those guys like nobody's business. They did not achieve any political end at all, except to make themselves look like a bunch of aggravating people.
1: Do You want to stand alone against the whole world? There's no place for originality in architecture. Nobody can improve on the buildings of the past. One can only learn to copy them. We've tried to teach you the accepted historical styles. You refuse to learn. You won't consider anybody's judgment but your own. You insist on designing buildings that look like nothing ever built before. This school has no choice but to expel you. It's my duty as your dean to say you'll never become an architect. You can't hope to survive unless you learn how to compromise. Now watch me. In just a few short years, I'll shoot to the top of the architectural profession. Because I'm going to give the public what it wants. You'll never get anywhere. Don't protest, Howard. You can pay me back any time. You need it. Thank you, Peter. I don't need it. But I want to help you. I don't give or ask for help. Oh, why don't you drop it? What? Oppose. All the ideals, if you prefer. You can't stand alone. Give in. Learn to get along with people. Start to design the kind of buildings everybody else does. Then you'll be rich, you'll be famous, you'll be admired. You'll be one of us. Go home, Peter. Good night. Good luck.
0: You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And I'm here with Paul McKeever, leader of the Freedom Party of Ontario, and we're talking about all the various strategies and and tactics and stunts that people have tried. So what are some more of these strategies that are, just seem to fail each time in terms of the greater picture of trying to win individual freedom instead of constantly losing it to chipping away and chipping away and chipping away.
2: Yeah. Well, one of the biggest strategies we always hear is, you know, we need to compete with the big parties. Okay. Well, that's good. You do. But how? We are. And here here (laughs) are the various ways. So one of them is, you know, something like enough talk. We need to show them that we mean business. We need to take forceful action, Demonstration. So, for example, I heard uh, Mark Emery the other day commenting that Randy Hillier has really paid his dues because he's gone around, you know, having rallies and whipping up the crowd and getting charged. And I think for Mark, getting charged and going to prison is seen as the price of something. I I see it as, as, you know, essentially making oneself a martyr. And I guess that comes from, you know, seeing examples in South Africa or in India, you know where someone happened to go to prison and subsequently had his way, whether he actually came to power or not was another ma- another question. But I don't think that that act alone, you know, getting arrested is at all helpful in promoting freedom. The biggest risk to it, of course, is that it looks like, well, you're a criminal.
0: <laughs> the end. Well, not only that, there's a difference between going out and looking to get arrested and trying to make Points that way than taking the risk of being arrested. I mean, I feel like I'm taking that risk every week when I do the show. You well, know? sure, it, yeah. but I'm not looking for it. But it's not something I, that stops me from doing the show, right? So I'm not inviting it. In fact, I would resist it. But still, I'm taking that risk, and that's what everybody in the in the freedom fight is, is doing.
2: Well, you know, and, and, and to, to to Mark's defense. Um, when he first started right. taking this approach back in 1990, I remember this, and I covered this in my documentary, um, The Principle of Pot, Mark was a big, he had a lot of faith in the court system and the charter, which at that time was only about eight years old. And he hoped that by getting arrested, he'd be able to get his day in court and, you know, break a law to change a law. That was the that was the wording. Right. Right. Uh, what he found out within a couple of years of being charged when he finally got to court was that the court continually let him down. And that is because, you know, well, the charter doesn't do what people think it does. The charter provides an excuse for the court to do what it wants to do, but it almost never compels the court to do anything it doesn't want to do. So when you go to court, you first have to win the heart of the judge. If you don't win the heart of the judge, you won't win the decision of the judge. And when you're selling, you know, records, two life crew records that a probably 70-year-old judge uh, would never think to have even in his presence, never mind playing on a, on a record uh, player, there's no way that guy's going to come to your defense and say, oh, you had the right to say something, something, sex, something, something, F-bomb, something, something, whatever, you see, degrading right. music or l- lewd music or whatever they wanted to call it at the time. You could count on the courts to say, well, in a free and democratic society, we put limits on freedom of speech and that's why I draw the line on that side where where Mark's records can't be played you know right and and it took mark a couple of years but i think he finally got to the point of realizing that the courts were not the friends of freedom in principle they're not philosophically pro freedom they're just there to again remember they're appointed by the government and the government is basically put in power by the wealthy and the established so you're going to get pretty much people who are vanilla getting appointed as judges. You will not get trailblazers as judges for the most part. When the public changes its tune, when the public thinks that, for example, it's time for same-sex individuals to be able to marry, then the court will at least too gladly say that, yes, we're changing the law. Uh, it's only right, it's a constitutionally protected you know thing for uh, same-sex couples to be married. That's when all of a sudden the charter will become useful. But 10 years earlier, when the public's against same-sex marriage, the same judge would probably say, well, the charter imposes such limits as may be reasonable in a free and democratic society, and I think that's a limit that needs to be done for the decency of humanity and blah, 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 blah. So, right. you know, the idea of sacrificing yourself so that you'll get sent to jail and pay your price, and it's not a successful approach, and to my mind, it doesn't help anyone gain any respect for your goal, which is freedom. It, yeah, it might gain some respect for people who have been charged the same way as you have. They say, well... You know, he's taking my side. But even when you do that, even when, as Mark did, you form a a party with a full slate of candidates in British Columbia on the provincial level, uh, you know, cannabis
0: party. One percent, two percent,
2: even though he's highly loved, you know.
0: Yeah, I think he got as high as three or something like that. Yeah, but... That's a good response if you look at it objectively. But where are you going in the long term? You know, with a with a party that is based on a single issue. Right. But you notice know, to, to speak to this enough talk, you know, and more action attitude. We got a interesting feedback to our own blog site back re, in regard to our show number seven thirty in on October twenty eighth which was titled Sinister Developments on the Road to Fascism. And it was written by Michael F., who posted on November 1st, in response to our own blog ending that always ends with, if you found this presentation valuable, please consider supporting us, right? Mm -hmm. So Michael F. writes, What use is a bunch of people whining about what's being done instead of even discussing ways of blocking it, especially when they have the legal power to do so? Taking money while in public office is illegal. Why the F would I spend money supporting blah 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 blahing about a problem and not doing anything about it? Yes, you'd need mass public support behind this effort so it would not get blocked or dismissed. Gee, too bad no one invented a way for you to communicate with the masses and acquire such support. I guess you're stuck whining then, end quote. And I'm going, boy, is that... Some kind of psychological revelation. But our sponsor and supporter from Germany who puts us on uh, shortwave, Paul Lambert, replied to Michael. He says, You don't know who you're talking about, Michael. I assure you that the men behind Just Right are certainly not just whiners who are not doing anything. If you're interested, you should take a good look around freedomparty.on.ca to see these men in action. Oh, good for him. Yeah, thank you, Paul and you know i I think he opened up a very interesting issue there what constitutes action in politics you know politics is largely about talking what are they doing in parliament right
2: It's exactly all it is it's ideas and words and and communications it's not pitchforks and and torches and that's activism that has a role it brings attention to an issue usually whether it's proud boys black lives matter whatever well, you know, and, and there's a big difference between activism, Bob, which is drawing attention to an issue generally, usually not to a principle. Like you don't have people normally taking to the streets seeking individualism, right? They they take to the streets seeking the end of lockdowns, the end of mask mandates, the end of vaccine passports and that kind of thing. Single issue concerns that general public and the politicians to understand Are not popular, that they face uh, opposition, and they want the government to change its policy. But those demonstrations are not demands for a new party to arise and fill the electoral space that's currently occupied by the government. That's not what those efforts do. So there's a difference one must keep in mind between activism on the one hand and electoral politics on the other. Electoral politics is about trying to provide a slate of candidates under the uh, guidance of a single set of policies. And that set of policies normally in a good party, like Freedom Party, has a philosophical underpinning that makes them integral. They're all interconnected. They, they follow the same philosophical path. And by having a full slate of candidates, you increase the probability that you will have a majority of seats in the legislature so that you do not have to play the game of majority rules. You can have a government that governs by principle rather than one that governs by trying to uh, pay off every MPP in the House. So there's a big difference between electoral politics and activism. Activism can look more exciting, and it probably is if you like going out in the streets and waving signs and yelling and shouting and telling people to get lost or to do what you
0: want. But that's not going to achieve an electoral result. That's a different thing. Well, we can certainly speak from experience with Freedom Party that you can win every battle, every battle out there. That's not electorally based and yet still lose the electoral war because the battles and the war are being fought kind of in separate and distinct arenas. I that's mean, right. Freedom, Freedom Party has changed. Speaking of lockdowns, Sunday closings in Ontario. We were right. the ones that won that battle. We beat, I don't know how many BIAs, business improvement areas, probably saved Ontario taxpayers billions of dollars. I'm the first person in Ontario to have won a case in front of a human rights commission, defending a landlord against false racism. And arguably Um, stopped the 1991 uh, Pan Am Games from being taxpayer funded. Among so many other things. And we kept winning all those things. And and we would get support from people who call themselves conservatives, right? And then when when it came to voting for the party, no, it never materialized. They just kept voting for the same old, same old, not realizing... The, the thing they're voting for is causing their grief.
2: That, absolutely right. They, they would support you in defeating some bad policy, one bad policy, uh, but come electoral uh, time, election time, they said, no, I'm sticking with the you know, the party I always vote for. Right. And, I, and we've actually had ex- experiences, and I'm sure you can confirm hundreds of times when this has happened, someone in an audience at an all-candidates debate comes up and says, boy, I really like everything you have to say. Too bad you're not in the party that I vote for because I'd vote for you in a minute. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. They, they're not voting <laughs> for a like, philosophy or anything. They're, they're voting for part, a party, whatever it might stand for.
0: Right. You know, and I, I've told this story many times. My first time out, I ran in a, in a riding London South that no longer exists. But I ran against a conservative, Gord Walker, and I would give a speech at the school where there were like a thousand people and and they would all clap and holler and give me a standing ovation and Walker would get up and he's going, you know, that's the kind of thing, you should become a conservative, you should join us. And I'm sitting there thinking, if you guys were saying what I'm saying, I wouldn't need to join you. I wouldn't need to join another party, right? Right. Why aren't they saying it? Why, Why do they have to suck me in? To justify what they're doing that this is what the logic I always got you know they always plagiarized us.
2: I, well you know so- there's another thing that we get too Bob. I, I, you know just on this on this uh, taking on the parties the other parties, we often get this idea that well if all the little midget parties came together, we'd have this huge party that we could take on the big parties with. Oh how many you times know. have I been approached with that Yep. Oh on and on and, you know these parties they fail to remember that even the biggest parties are run by just a handful of people. Like the Progressive Conservative Party is, at best, in terms of active membership, a few hundred people strewn across a hundred and some odd ridings. Uh, At those riding levels, the people pounding the signs in, getting the candidate funding going, all those things that make a party go, that's usually, in a a given riding, maybe ten people who are actively uh, working to do it. So the idea that a big party is millions of people is ridiculous, and it really doesn't take tens of thousands of people to run a good election what it takes is people who are committed to making your party work at the riding level uh, and it and as i say it only takes a few people and first it starts of course with the candidate just coming forward and putting the name on the ballot and that's all of about 10 minutes work but anyway there's that there's the let's get all these parties together and like how many times have we heard oh the libertarians should merge with freedom party as though it would create some kind of superpower you know yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but the problem with that is that the libertarianism that guides that party is absolutely and utterly opposed to the philosophy that guides Freedom Party,
0: you know. It, oh, and we learned that firsthand when we put out our marketing statement, Freedom Party believes that the purpose of government is to protect individual freedom of choice and not to restrict it.
2: And they respond with
0: government. <laughs> yeah, like per like purpose of government. Are you kidding me? Right. Like, and they just abandon us. Yeah, they, they want no government. I mean, less
2: government, no matter how much there is, and no government at all would be the ultimate point. So, they're even if they are, they, they say they're against anarchism. They're on a path that ends in anarchism necessarily. Right. right. The, the, the one other thing I think we always see, and when we see this in the likes of say uh, Randy Hillier, we had another guy named Truman Tuck that that actually joined our party the thinking that parties are bad, that, that MPP should have basically total and utter freedom uh, to vote however they want, and that you know the House, by voting a majority, will vote in favour or against a given bill. Well, that's okay, except for two things. One, it's philosophically horrific to have a majority rule as the method by which you choose how to govern people, because the majority, as we've seen, at least in this province, will be only too glad to take away your, your freedom. The other thing is that, of course, our constitution is such that the premier or the prime minister federally is only the premier because he's the leader of the party having won the greatest number of seats. And when they have a majority, that party makes the rules, basically doesn't have opposition of any powerful account. You know, the minority parties don't have power to veto. And that gives the party that majority rule, that ability to make decisions that the other parties don't want you to make, allows the party to make principled government policy
0: instead of just popular government policy. And that's the difference. and And that applies whether it's our principles or not. It could be any principles. Absolutely.
2: Team Blue, or are you on uh, Team Hillier? Well, it's not about. I mean, I want. See, I want something that's going to satisfy people who all seem to want the same thing: milk right? toast centrist. <laughs> I know, man. Andrew shares Scher- milk toast. Andrew wanna, is so And the good green room, that.
1: Mark was like, "I want everyone to do well. There can be only one leader. We must get behind
2: one leader and win. And then we have to get rid of the other one and feed them to the dogs." I'm, I'm kidding of I mean, that's an issue. That's yeah. I mean, that is kind of how politics is done in Ontario, isn't it? <laughs> like, Any conservative who's serious about politics should be referencing the Trump playbook. Trump was totally an outsider, totally this like random can't no way you're gonna make and then slowly but surely he he chipped away at every Republican opponent until he got up to like Ted Cruz and whatever. And like and like you know, he 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 mm-hmm. systematically kind of just chipped
0: away at every single person ahead of him until mm-hmm. he was the head guy.
2: Yeah. Well as uh, soon as he became the head guy, he never left.
0: So, Paul, do we need to join and change a big party or are we wasting our time starting <laughs> well, that, starting that, from that, ground up? <laughs> that's probably,
2: you know, again, one of those suggestions we get perennially, right? Oh, why are you trying to form your own party? What you need to do is you join an existing party that's big and successful and then you try to change it from within, you know. And that might sound like it's somehow productive, except that it, it never is, is fruitful in the long haul, even in the very... St- tiny minority of situations where it's fruitful in the short haul. So for example, we have Jim Helios and his MPP spouse, Belinda. You know, Jim, if you Google for a little bit, you'll find, uh, has always been a bit of a thorn in the side of the progressive conservative party that he joined and obviously tried to change from within. But he certainly has found that he was getting pushback at every turn and he sued the party, in fact, successfully at one point. But most recently... He, I think, and his spouse were in the same riding association of the Progressive Conservative Party. And all it took was for Brian Patterson, who's, I think, president of the party or something like that, to just wind up the riding association, which under the law and under the under the constitution of the Progressive Conservative Party, I guess they were allowed to do. And by doing that, they managed essentially to kick Ker Helios out of the party, or at least out of any active management of it. When right. his spouse Belinda opposed Bill 195, which gave the Ford government at least purportedly gave him the power to continue using emergency powers despite the ending of the COVID emergency. Her not carrying the weight of the PC party, not towing the line, ended up with her being kicked out of caucus. And in fact, I think the number of people kicked out of the PC caucus for not towing the line is now up to around seven, which is a considerable number of people, you know, uh, in a in a legislature with only 130 some odd seats. I think it's under.
0: 130- well, isn't, isn't part of the problem though, that people mistake what a political party is. I think a Sorry. political party is an extension of the democratic process out in the political marketplace when political parties are really private associations in a way and the, and the existing ones, the traditional ones, go back to confederation for heaven's sakes. Right. You've got a set set of people in there who have determined the direction of the party, what it's there for. Conservative party is there for whatever conservatism represents to the people in it. The Liberal Party has always been almost a non-ideological party. It's just about spending and giving the voters what they want, you know. But that's about it. And they're run by the same people. So to, you have to get rid of the people in it before you could do any of that. That's not going to happen.
2: Right. I mean, I, I remember going to a uh, Elections Ontario meeting of the parties. And when we sat there at lunch and the PC representative was sitting right next to the Liberal representative and the PC representative was regaling the, the liberal representative by saying, well, I remember the good old days when it was just about power. None of this left-wing, right-wing thing. You know, it was liberal for a while and it was PC for a while, but it never really mattered because it was just about power. I mean, that's all they care about. They're they're not ideolog- ideologues at all. They have no particular philosophy. They are there to protect the establishment from any kind of new competition or losing what they've got through competition. Uh, or to get special handouts from the government. Oh, you know, you want to put in a, a racetrack and a, and a supporting gym. Well, hey, let's let's pay Ellis Don to do it yet again. You know, Ellis right. Don, probably one of the biggest builders for the government. So, you know, it, it's it, it's not something that you can change. You're, you're as you're saying, you're coming into this private association. It's like walking into a private home, and everyone's dressed up in suits and ties, and and you know dresses and you come in with a with track pants and running shoes and you say give me a plate too and they say there's the door and if yep. you won't leave peace, peaceably they they throw you out well that's that's how those big parties work if you're not dressed up and looking the same way and talking the same way as they are they they find out really darn quick and they get rid of you if you do and toe that, the and,
0: line, and, and, and you know that only makes sense because if the party has a purpose, never mind that it's your purpose or my purpose or the purpose of the person who thinks they can join that party to change it, that's why they're there, right? They're there to filter out the people who do not share their ideologies or objectives. That's right. That's right. And if, and if you
2: do manage to toe the line, you arrive in the suit and tie and you, and you say all the right words and you keep everything nice, nice and neutral and vanilla and they don't see you as a threat, well, guess what? That's how you have to remain. I mean, you cannot change. You're, you've basically been changed by the party. Right. You know, the the other approach is, and we've seen this in a couple of highlighted incidents. Okay, so in the States, you had the Republicans, you know, the strong people in the Republican Party, they call them the rhinos, Republican in name only, because they're essentially Democrats who are, you know, in, the, in their colors, they're, they're wearing the red banners instead of the blues. But they're all basically socialists. So along comes Trump with a bunch of, people who are new to partisan politics. In other words, regular people and who are only too happy to buy a party membership to support him. And the party rank and file say, who's this newcomer? He used to be a Democrat. We can't let this guy take over our party. If he becomes the presidential candidate, holy cow, we won't have any control over him. To some extent, they could control Trump. And we saw that, whereas at the beginning, he was very single-minded. They wore him down to a certain degree toward the end. But the biggest indicator of, where that party stood with respect to Trump started when, you know, Mike Pence had that opportunity to change things electorally and just sort of turned his back on Trump and walked out the door. And then since that time, of course, the rhinos have been saying that'll never happen again. We'll never allow that to happen again. And all the people who were previously praising Donald Trump are now essentially dancing on his grave. So within the Republican party. Yeah. So even if you managed to seize the leadership, the biggest party on earth for the biggest country on earth, you don't get to win long-term. They just buy their time and they take their revenge later. And everything goes right back to the way it was. The other example that we've seen over the last few years, of course, Doug Ford himself. So the progressive conservatives had this fellow named Patrick Brown. Someone on one of the mainstream media channels leaked some story that allegedly some nameless, faceless people had claimed to have been sexually mis... What was was the word? Sexual misconduct, I think is the neutral word because it doesn't sound like anything criminal. It just sounds like... Something inappropriate, and uh, of course Patrick Brown re- is is urged by his party to resign the same night. So there's no
0: due process. There's nothing. Okay, and the and the irony is, who spoke out in defense of him? We did. Yeah, we right? said we want because, due process. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but the conservatives were nowhere to be seen. No, and, and so so
2: what we had at that time, of course, was Doug Ford had Rob Ford's whole contingent, the so-called Ford Nation, behind him, and they could urge people to buy memberships and support Doug Ford, because he was up against Christine Elliott, the long-term red Tory, in other words, socialist Tory, and he was promising to be sort of serving the same kind of contingent as Trump had served in the States, you know, the sort of disenfranchised, the people who don't have a party to call their own, the people whose interests are always ignored by the big parties. So in he comes, and I remember Ford, because he was only made leader about a month or three before the election happened, he didn't have an election platform. He just glad-handed through the province saying, You know, we're going to stop the gravy train or something like that. And in the first, I'd say, six months of his leadership of that party in government, he implemented, I think it was all but one Freedom Party, 2018 Freedom Party plank uh, from our platform. Like, it was the most successful platform Freedom Party had ever had because the government essentially took it and ran with it. But, of course, Dean French was his chief of staff, and it was found out that Dean French was giving jobs, plum jobs, to his friends and family. And so he was out, reportedly, a lot of the long-standing MPPs of the PC party were happy to see him go because he was ruling the party with an iron fist. Well, what happened as a result? The old red Tories took right back over, and ever since that, there's been backtracking 180s and nothing but big governments. I mean, the whole reason that, that this province went so heavy-handedly into lockdowns, mask ups, mandatory injections, and et cetera, is because the red Tories are in control of that party. Doug Ford is not controlling that party. He has been controlled by that party. He is a non-entity. He's a non-force. And he hasn't been a force probably for about two and a half years. Ever since Dean French was gone, he's been nothing but a face. I think the decision-making is being done by the Lexa of Christine Elliott and her crowd. So again, right. you might be able to hijack a party for, in the short term because you happen to have some kind of convenient voter base that managed to overcome the odds and get in. But those parties will swallow you whole. You will be changed by them. You will not change them from within.
0: That's certainly been my experience, both as an observer and a participant. Every time I've tried to cooperate with people, I've seen it on so many levels. Getting people to work together is not the easiest thing in the world. And Paul, our time's running out real quick, and there are so many things we could still talk about. For example, capitalism, still the unknown ideal. Until conservatives support capitalism openly and, and strongly, they'll never be moving to the right. Also, the idea that government's a necessary evil, which is only true if you have it running by evil, by That's evil right. people, right? That's right. And, and then there is the big elephant in the room that maybe we should have to, again reserved for a future conversation is the psychology of mass formation that we heard about last week oh, yes. from Dr. Desma, who made it very clear that the majority of people are basically tyrannical, and they're not even aware of it. They're in this state of almost hypnosis. And for a political party to have to appeal to that, you're just appealing to mob rule. You, you can't do that. Oh, absolutely you're not. You're right. So any last comments, Paul? Long live the effort for freedom. It's a never-ending one.
2: And you can't be taking shortcuts. We've given the, you know your listenership a, a long list, I think, of things that we've heard over the years, things that they should be wary of because they do not work. They seem like right. flash in the pan wins. They will not work. They do not work. There is no substitute for simply... Joining the voice for freedom, not the voice against tyranny, not the voice against lockdowns. Sure, you can say those things, you can say, but that's not the way you get acceptance of freedom. And don't go right. thinking that you're going to get, you know, the hypnotized 30% to vote for you. Focus on the
0: people with an open mind, whatever their previous party history. Right. And even though you can win every battle and still lose the war, you know, and there's nothing wrong with the battles per se, but remember the battles in the war are being fought Pretty much in distinct arenas, right? Absolutely. And that doesn't mean you don't do one or the other. You've got to do all of these things. And one of the big issues is we are in a war of words. All politics is a war of words. Why do you think they want censorship so strongly? Why Absolutely. do politicians. That's exactly right. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Thank you. To our listeners, this show could be seen as one of those battle zones for freedom. And with that thought in mind, here's inviting everyone to return to this battlefield by joining us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then.
1: Fade into color, color into black and white. Should have worked. (laughs) Can I help you? No, no, I'm, I'm fine. Hey, Mr. Carlson.
0: (laughs) What's it like to ride in a helicopter? (laughs) A lot of fun. (laughs) Excuse me, sir. It was the most unusual
1: promotion idea I ever heard of. Never been anything else like it. No, no, I don't, don't suppose there has. I thought it would work i planned this thing right down to the last detail it was perfect where'd you get those birds are you okay i don't know a man and his two children tried to kill me after the turkeys hit the pavement the crowd kind of scattered but some of them tried to attack me i had to jam myself into a phone booth then Mr. Carlson had the helicopter land in the middle of the parking lot. I guess he thought he could save the day by turning the rest of the turkeys loose. Gets pretty strange after that. It's strange. Right. No, no, Les, come on now, tell us the rest. I really don't know how to describe it. It was like the turkeys mounted a counter-attack. It was almost as if they were organized. As God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. (laughs)